Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And another gardening season is about to come to an end. Yes, it is. We had the beautiful sunshine and warm weather last weekend. A little bit cooler this weekend with some rain as well, and that's going to be settling in for the week. And lots of leaves are falling down across South Australia. One of the nice things about the end of autumn is that the deciduous trees, they colour. And in the hills, we found out last week that they are just colouring so wonderful, a kaleidoscope of colour in the hills. Down here on the plains, not quite as much colour. So we need to find out which are the deciduous trees that are going to give us the best colour for our gardens, whether we're in the hills or, in particular, the plains. And our guest will be Amy Willard from Adelaide Tree Farm. It's a wonderful tree nursery up in Carey Gully and full of colour at the moment and Amy is going to help us to choose the deciduous tree for our particular garden. Great, so if you've got a, a small garden Amy's got a good idea for that and depending on where you live but we have asked you this morning for your suggestions for great colour and John have we got a lot. <laughs> Let me just give you some before we hear what Amy Woolard's tips are. Autumn Blaze is this suggestion. Um, Forest pansy tree for gorgeous deep pink flowers in spring and stunning deep red leaves in summer and autumn. I've never heard of a forest pansy before. Forgive my ignorance. I think Amy's going to comment on that one. This texter says, Dazzling yellow of apricot and burnt crimson of prunus make a vibrant mulch spread amongst the different shades of green perennial plants throughout the garden. Don't you love autumn? Yes, we do. Uh, And James in North Adelaide says, my favourite is a Japanese maple, which goes a brilliant, luminous golden red, especially if backlit by the setting sun. Sounds so poetic and beautiful. And Mary of the Barossa says, and you'll like this, John, crepe myrtle and Japanese maple and regular maple. And I would agree with the glory vine. The crepe myrtle's bark colour and leaf colour in autumn, winter are fabulous. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get to them all, but uh, maple is getting a big workout, including um, sensation uh, maple or lipstick maple from Judy at Oakbank. And Rose in Jamestown says, my three beautiful hawthorn trees colours right through to a very dark red. And we'll end with Rachel in the Hills, who says her Burr Bosch pear leaves are magnificent magenta. So many questions to ask Amy Willard, John. Goodness gracious, so many plants, uh, deciduous plants with their glorious colours, very different colours. And the question, I suppose, is where does the colour come from? The trees are green for most of the season, and then round about now, they change. What happens? What's going on? Amy Willard from Adelaide Tree Farm, welcome to Talk Back Gardening. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Great to have you in the studio, Amy. Yes. That question, though, where does the colour come from? Well, it's actually surprising because the colours have always been there. So they've actually just been masked by the green chlorophyll pigment the whole spring and summer. So what happens is in um, autumn, we have the autumn equinox where the daytime and nighttime are equal. And from then on, the days start to get shorter. So that's signifying to the tree that winter's coming and it 
needs to shut up shop because the deciduous trees can't cope with the cold frost and snow of the winters. So the tree starts to slow down the production of chlorophyll, and which is the green pigment. And so it, it starts to break it down and it, it essentially retreats out of the leaf, which in doing so reveals the other pigments. So the, the reds and the yellows and the oranges. So we've got anthocyanin, which is the red, produces the reds and the purples. And then we've got the carotenoids, which is the yellows and oranges, which is the same pigment that's yeah. in a carrot, obviously. So they've actually already always been there, but the dominant pigment is the green. So that when that's going, that's when we get this beautiful show of all the other colours. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? it? Is, Those yeah. colours are there all the time yeah. and it's the chlorophyll and of course the sunlight is giving us the, the chlorophyll and that's needed for making the plants to grow. Correct. But as you say, uh, it, the days get shorter, they get colder and the trees need a rest so they say right oh well uh, we don't need the chlorophyll and uh, lo and behold there's all the colours. Yeah, it, the tree starts to shut up shop so to speak and packs away some nutrients for for the next spring and eventually the tree will um, shut off the supply of water and nutrients to the leaves and seal it off and then the leaves will die and drop off and then the tree's all set to rest. Why is it though? You can have the same tree, the same kind of a tree, let's say it's a crepe myrtle, and in uh, in one garden it's, it's lovely colour and then uh, a couple of streets away in another garden there's, it's still green or it's different colours. Well, there's a lot of mystery, there was a little bit of mystery, but generally it will come down to the factors that come down to everything in gardening, which is water, nutrients, sunlight... So I would say that if it's two trees in the same, you know, suburb, but one is colouring up a lot earlier than the other, I would say that the one that's colouring up early probably had a bit more stress during the summer. So it had probably less water, probably didn't get a fertilise as well. So the tree really doesn't have enough nutrients. So it's had to start breaking down the chlorophyll earlier to, to deal with getting ready for winter whereas you some trees look like they're powering on well into early winter still looking green and they are probably the maybe the younger or better cared for trees the reports coming in say that the hills are a kaleidoscope of color down here on the plains it's yellows maybe but not the brilliant kind of colors why the difference between hills and plains i, th I think the main reason is the variation in daytime and nighttime temperature so in the hills we obviously get a lot our nighttime temperatures drop a lot lower and we have the sunny days so that that is the generally the key um and down on the plains, the trees are a little bit more protected in microclimates of cities and suburbs. And, you know, maybe we have more cloud cover down here, which generally just means we don't have the, the colder evenings. Aha. Uh -huh. And that explains because here in Adelaide, we've only had one day or one night, one night where the temperature has been under 10 degrees. Uh -huh. yes. Simply because uh, of... Uh, well, Climate change, call it what it is, but we're having a relatively mild uh, autumn here in on the plains, whereas up in the hills they've had plenty of days when uh, the temperatures have dropped quite low. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, we're talking with Amy Willard from Adelaide Tree Farm, and shortly we're going to take a look at the best kind of a deciduous tree for your garden. But if you've got questions for Amy, she is just so the much wonderful information <laughs> about the deciduous trees, and take advantage of it while Amy is here in exactly. the studio. Exactly. So whilst we have 
have Amy for another 15 or so minutes. Call in if you'd like to ask her a question on 1300 891. Just on the text line, getting a lot of other suggestions. Uh, don't forget the pistachio I grew from seedling. They're just gorgeous autumn colour. Um, liquid amber. Grew up with a magnificent one in our front yard in North Brighton. Its leaves turned every colour imaginable, says Joanne in Blackwood. And talking about the value of leaves, this texter says, after 40 years of yellow and burnt crimson leaves displayed each autumn throughout my green garden, I have two inches of black soil atop clay. Lazy man's composting in a no-dig garden. Absolutely brilliant, yes. And it's a value commodity. Let's come back, though, to favourite autumn trees or trees with autumn colour. Amy, do you have a particular favourite yourself? Well, yeah, the lady just mentioned the liquid amber, which is, it is absolutely stunning, but it it generally has to only be planted where you've got a lot of space because it's one of the biggest trees we sell and the root system can be pretty aggressive as well. I think that might be the tree I have. And I think my whole front... Uh, driveway and porch is being impacted by it. So yes, don't put that one in your garden. It, you look, it, it is stunning and, and the, one of the reasons I really like it as well is because it's one of the last trees where we are in the hills to change colour. So it changes almost towards the very end of autumn and then the really great thing is that it will hold on to its autumn colour quite long into winter as well. So whereas things like the North American maples, like the lipstick maples, will change early or even mid-March, so they'll put on a show, change colour, but they'll drop very quickly. Something like the liquid amber will give you leaf coverage and colour well into winter. And you do, you get that real kaleidoscope of colours where you can have burgundies, oranges, yellows, greens, all on the tree, all at the same time. There are many people here on the plains who would love to be able to have a lovely tree, just a, a sm- not a, a large tree, but you know, maybe five, uh, four, four or five metres uh, uh, tall, but they would like to be able to enjoy that autumn colour. Could we have a bit of a discussion as to what are the most suitable uh, trees, deciduous trees, to grow in, here on the plains and perhaps in, in the smaller gardens? And which are, which are the, the ones most likely to give you the best colour? Absolutely. Look, there are, look there's plenty, really. We, someone mentioned on the text line the crepe myrtle, yes. which is you know, a fabulous all-round tree. You get four really distinct seasons. So you get your, your green leaves in spring, then you get your green leaves and flowers all through summer. Then you get a really fabulous display of autumn colour. Like quite, people are sometimes quite shocked that the, the crepe myrtles do go as red, have the deep reds and oranges as, say, a Japanese maple, for example. Uh, then we've also got things like a crab apple. Um, crab apples are more yellows and oranges. Then we've got Japanese maples, as mentioned, but they really do need a little bit more protection, so All just right. be wary of those. Let's break them down, and we have, might have a discussion on, on some of those. Um, crepe myrtles, I, I think was you jumping in, to... yes, because actually uh, we've got a caller on crepe myrtle right now, Maria from Glenelg North. Hello, Maria. Hello. Yes, I've got some three crepe myrtles. I think they're Tuscaroma or something similar to that in my front garden and they were put in three years ago and when they were put in we were putting 130 plants in on that day so when we put the crepe myrtles in we realized they were pot bound um but we put them in anyway because we were desperate with all of the 
things that were going on and so they really haven't grown very much and and every year I think oh yes they've grown more but then at the end of the season like now I look and I say oh they still haven't really grown very much so is there any hope for them do they just limp along and eventually they'll grow or do we have to kind of admit defeat in some form um so the other question would be to ask have you ever given them a hard prune and do you water them really well um, I feel like I water them well. They're on an underground irrigation system and then I give them a top up with sea sole and other things. But okay. I, I don't know, sometimes I worry that the soil just doesn't hold the moisture because I'm sort of near the beach. And I give them a prune probably about uh, maybe a quarter off each Yeah, season. okay, that's a decent amount. Yeah. And, and do they, so do they put on new, so they put on a little bit of new growth and do they, yes. do they flower over summer? Yes, they do flower and they, they do. do put on a bit of just enough to keep my heart going. Yeah, okay, but not, but, but not vigorous, to, nothing to no, nothing to get no. excited about. Okay, no, exactly. Yes. And how tall are they now? They are now probably at about my height, which is six foot. So okay. yes, maybe a fraction under. Yeah, actually, one little one is probably more like one point five meters, and the others are probably more one point eight. Okay. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I quite often say to people that if you're looking at something all day, every day, you know, getting in and out the car, working in the front door, and you always feel that slight uh, of disappointment, then yep. there's, you know, I would change it up if I was you because, you know, you What's want something to flourish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want something to flourish. So you, there's two things, I suppose. You could, um, in winter when they're bare, you could um, dig them up, like essentially like you're going to transplant them. Um, and there's yep. a few key points that you can contact me off air about how to do that successfully and then you could sort of I suppose look at the roots and see how well they've been doing and then either you know trim them and uh, replant them or you could just start again yes could I just come in there to me trees which are root bound is one of the major problems why trees in particular and tall shrubs don't thrive correct and i'll draw from my own experience uh, some four years ago i put in a row of raphaelipsis mm-hmm. and uh, i bought the plants and they came out of their containers and they weren't advanced plants but they're in sort of a uh, 30 centimeter wide containers so they were, were they, they were advanced to a certain extent and they looked okay and they were planted and after four years they hadn't grown an inch they just sat there and I decided off with their heads they're going and I dug started to dig them up and I was absolutely amazed because when I dug them up there was soil uh, on the outside of the root ball but the inside of the root ball, it was completely rebound. The roots had gone mm, round and terrible. round and round, and they'd strangled themselves. And and but they, the, the nursery had actually got them, probably knowing that they're root bound, and stuck them into a bigger container, and they looked okay. Mm. So buyer beware. How do you overcome the problem of root bound plants? Uh, well, you can do a little bit of a home remedy, like. I mean, obviously, every nurse, no nursery wants to sell trees or plants that are root bound. But obviously, during summer, if you get really vigorous growth, um, the the plants might get sold after a you know, especially with small plants, so they can grow very, very quickly. So I suppose if you do end up with a tree or a plant that is root bound, you can before you plant it take off with good, sharp, clean 
uh, tool, gardening tools, you can take off, say, an inch across the bottom, which essentially cuts and makes a nice clean cut. Yeah. You can then also, or you could put a cross in the bottom and, and tease the roots out, and you can also cut cleanly around the edges. I mean, it's not ideal at all, but it's it's better to have a clean break on those roots that are circling so that they can break and start to grow outwards rather than continuing to wind around. All right, we might come back to sort of uh, the management of trees uh, very, very shortly, but I suspect there are questions coming in, Deb. We're getting lots of questions on the text line, and thank you to Maria for her call, but we've got our special guest, Amy Willard from the Adelaide Tree Farm, in the studio now. If you want to talk to her, you've only got 10 minutes or so, so call in on 1300 222 891. You can text 0467922 891 and if you've got the ABC Listen app downloaded and you've made ABC Radio Adelaide your favourite just tap the app and you can get through to us very shortly This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide It certainly is and this morning we are talking about autumn colour the autumnal leaves are out in uh, their kaleidoscopic display around South Australia right now. What are the best trees for you? Amy Willard from Adelaide Tree Farm. We're just getting a few themes coming through on the text line. If I could just throw mm-hmm. a couple of things that are based on what you said earlier today about the chlorophyll creating the green colour in our leaves. Winter says no chlorophyll, no food. So how does the plant sustain itself over winter? And James in North Adelaide says, well, what happens to the chlorophyll in autumn? How and where is it stored? (laughs) So the chlorophyll is broken down and it's used, I suppose, as it's being broken down, it's photosynthesizing more. That's right. This is the basis of photosynthesis. And and it stores nitrogen and phosphorus in the, the branches. So that they're the two main elements that are stored to, to keep the tree... Well, the tree doesn't need any nutrients over winter, first of all, because it's dormant. No, the growth, it, growth has produced sunlight and uh, it produces the chlorophyll and the chlorophyll sort of then helps to convert uh, inside the plant to energy. And yeah, so correct. Th- that's for, for growth. And then, of course, uh, deciduous trees, uh, they have a rest during winter and so they've stopped growing uh, because there's not enough chlorophyll for the leaves. Yeah, correct. So the, basically the chlorophyll's broken down it looks like it's disappearing out of the leaves. The the reds and the yellows and oranges come through and then the tree doesn't need anything. Yeah, it's, it's not it stored, need, it's yeah. used. Yeah, and, correct, and, 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 it's used, yeah, it's and, used. But when, when it's not being made, okay, you can't use it. So yeah, correct. They rest, yeah. Uh, Matthew has called from Bridgewater. We're back to crepe myrtle, a very mm-hmm. popular tree. Now, Matthew, you would like to transplant yours. Yes, that's correct. So I moved into a house about a year ago and there's a lovely little crepe myrtle that's probably about a metre and a half tall, a metre and a half wide. It's just not where I want to look at it, and I'd love to move it from the backyard to the front yard, and I'm just wondering, if, is there a best way or time to do that? Yes, there is. So wait until it's completely bare in winter, and yep. then the idea is that, which I'm sure John's mentioned before on the show, is you, you try to take a significant amount of the root ball with you and you so for example if it's about a meter and a half i'd say probably take about a a 40 to 50 centimeter you know diameter root ball you know try to make clean cuts and dig the tree up then um you've obviously prepared your other site and then you you know do the necessary soil preparation get the tree in but the important thing is is 
you will need to then reduce the, the canopy or the branches of the tree to help it cope with the fact that it's lost maybe a third of its root system so that when it comes spring, it doesn't suddenly basically have a panic attack and think, oh my gosh, where have all my roots gone? I've got all these branches to try to deal with. Um, and you would have significant, significantly taken off about maybe a third of the branches so that the tree is then in balance and then can, you know, grow normally again. But do it in winter, definitely. Okay, so once it's bare, and then I, I cut back about a third of the branches, you were yeah, saying. Yeah, absolutely, which you could do anyway with a crepe myrtle because they bounce back really easily and they'll, they'll, you'll have a great growing season after that. And is there anything I should do for it in particular after I've transplanted it? Oh, look, I would... Um, I mean, you're in the hills, actually, so it's going to be pretty cold midwinter, so you could actually wait... Um, Look, as soon as the tree's bare, do it. Um, and then maybe just use some sea salt, which is a good tonic when you're transplanting. But otherwise, just let it be. And there and are other varieties of seaweed besides that particular correct, brand. Correct, there are. There are, yes, yeah, a seaweed tonic, I should have said. Um, there's are, are f plenty on the market that are excellent. And then in... Um, Look, in spring, that's when you would start to take care of it a little bit more, make sure there's adequate water and some fertiliser down the track. Fantastic. Thank you very much for the call, Matthew. Cynthia in Sejuna, Amy, asks, is there a deciduous native tree? Uh, that is a tricky one. I would say, look, look, if you're in a cold climate like we are in the Adelaide Hills, some of the natives do lose their leaves because they just can't cope, <laughs> like the... Uh, like an Illawarra flame tree, like a brachychitin, they will uh, they will flourish and do well in summer, but then in the hills they'll lose their leaves. But actually, I can't think. I'm looking at John. Is there one that you can think of? No, I can't think of one either no. at mm. the moment. But I'm sure there's probably somebody will come in and say there's this particular one. It might be sort there, of there must be because there mm. must be trees that would have survived down, say, in Tasmania, and in, in you know around the in the Alps maybe that had to. For survival, that had to lose their leaves, yeah, yeah. But, but not not easily available. And just finally, Mel says, uh, "What would you recommend as a weeping native gum, not too high, but a weeping one with lovely blossom?" A weeping native gum. So there's the um, eucalyptus. I can never say this price. Says it's C A E S I A. Caesia, the silver princess. That's yes, a lovely. That's, that's very nice. Yes, yeah, that that's a nice weeping yes, gum. Yes. Um, but, I mean, then you've got, obviously, the carimbias, which I think have better flowers, but they're not weeping. Yes. I'm hoping I can find a, a, the right guest to come in and talk about gum trees, mm. native gum mm. trees, because there's a big uh, resurgence of interest in, in planting native trees and gum trees. There's a lot of smaller ones coming onto the market now. I can recommend we'll, someone. We'll, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. That would be tremendous. Uh, so let's come back to a, a particular issue. Uh, we we're talking about uh, root-bound plants. But the other area is when you buy a deciduous tree, if you buy, say, a fruit tree, um, uh, bare-rooted, obviously, the roots have been chopped back and so you've got to chop the top back. But mm -hmm. when you buy a deciduous tree in a nice big container and uh, uh, you, you, have, you sell your advanced plants in, in these great big containers, uh, Container, so there's a big root system there. Is there a need to chop the top of the tree back uh, to balance up with the root system? No, not necessarily. Um, not unless, as we mentioned before, we we find out which would 
we would be upset about if, if the tree was root bound. But generally, we will be checking trees through this, the, the season, especially to this time of year. So you've had a vigorous summer growth. You know, we always sort of make sure that the trees can still easily be pulled out of the pot. There's no sign of the roots aggressively coming through the bottom of the pots. Yes. But um, no, you generally shouldn't have to do any pruning like you do with a bare That's root. That's right. I mean, you're buying, I say, a Japanese maple, and it's this lovely shape, and to have the thought of having to cut it back, it would be very it heartbreaking. Dis- yeah, because you-, you don't have to do that when, no. if you buy a quality plant from a quality outlet, then you shouldn't have problems with a root system, and you can just say, right, off we go. Correct. Put it in and off we go. Unless that, you know, you wanted to raise the canopy up a little bit, that way you could take off a few lower branches at the time of planting, but that's about it. And just uh, on the text line, answering immediately, this texter says Australia has just one true temperate deciduous native tree, the deciduous beech or phagus, nothophagus gunni in Tasmania, as you said, Amy, which puts on a stunning autumn display before dropping all of its leaves in anticipation of cold winter weather. Wow. Fagus, okay, I know. Always there's somebody that knows, that knows. the answer. <laughs> and that's the beauty of talkback gardening. And uh, there's always somebody that is willing to help us. Amy, we need to come back to that list of trees, particularly here in the plains. I'm on, on, on the hills, I suppose, you know, <laughs> uh, there's so many choices. But mm-hmm. here on the plains, uh, trees which are good colour trees and are not too large now you mentioned the crepe myrtle that's just one (laughs) and we met i think i've mentioned the crab apples as well so they can be anywhere between three to six meters so you but you don't get as many reds you get more sort of yellows and oranges um i think someone on the text line before mentioned the forest pansy which is from the circus family so they have the large heart-shaped leaves and the forest pansy has the a dark burgundy or a dark green in spring and summer as well as the beautiful pink blossom in spring. Could but then just, it. A forest pansy will be sort of a, a strange name to some people. You mentioned it's got big, large leaves. Just a, a, a description of, of what, what it looks like. So the leaves are about the size of the palm of your hand yes. and do sort of look like a love heart. The tree itself generally looks a little bit weepy, um, can grow to about four high by four wide. And it, it is sort of a people can quite often get it mixed up with a native hibiscus or a cottonwood because it has that dark burgundy colour. But you would, if you've if you've got a forest pansy, you would know in spring because it, the whole tree is covered in bright pinky purple blossom. And then in autumn, it has that beautiful kaleidoscope of colours: oranges, yellows, burgundies. Um, sort of graduating along the branch with the leaves. It, it has a fantastic Yes, forest show. pansy is very, very trendy at the moment. Correct. Landscapers are putting them in Correct. as feature plants, so they would be a good one for people to at least check them out and say, oh, yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's small gardens. There's, there's quite a few. Look, you, you also, um, I mean, still, you know, people do get sick of using ornamental pears, but there is they do produce a spectacular autumn display there's no doubt about that and they have beautiful blossom in spring as well the traditional autumn uh, uh, the pear the ornamental pear is fairly large is there a smaller version available there is there is the um there's one called a festivity or um another name you might know it by is korean sun and that gets to about four by four so it's a nice sort of rounded pear tree sort of the size of a traditional apple tree then there's the um 
people may have heard of a, a new variety of the Capital. So the Capital was the original 11 by 3 metres. Yes. And there's a new one aptly called the Mini Capital that's being produced by a nursery in South Australia. And I've had a chat with them yesterday and they've assured me that there's good numbers coming through for uh, spring and summer. And that oh, is the tremendous. mini capital, so that will only get to about five by two. So that solves a lot of people's problems for driveway driveway screening trees where they don't want something huge in 10 years' time. Yes, those, uh, uh, what they call it, fastidious. Fastidious, yeah. Fastidious, they're yeah. tall and skinny. Correct. And beautiful for blocking out the neighbours if you Correct. want to. Correct, blocking out course, the two-storey house that's being built next door. Uh, yes, except they drop their leaves during the winter. They uh, do, yes. But, uh, okay, so we've got um, a crepe myrtle, a crepe, uh, crepe apples, forest pansy. Um, there may be many people hoping it's going to say maple, a Japanese maple. Is a Japanese Japanese maple uh, a possibility on the plains or or not? Look, it is, but you just have to be very aware. For example, if you had a a north or west-facing front garden and you tried to put a Japanese maple in the middle of the lawn, you'll you'll be holding your breath all summer. Um, So think of the most protected position on your property, maybe a southerly or easterly aspect, somewhere close to the house that maybe gets morning sun and then gets a lot of shade. Honestly, even a pergola or veranda, it will do well even in a pot um, or under the shade of another tree. You just need to protect them from that harsh afternoon sun. It is a possibility. Is there a varieties of the Japanese maple that probably a little bit more durable for the plains? Yeah, you you would you wouldn't go for the lace leaf or the very fine leaf um, like the ones that almost look like you know lace. You would go for something that's got a bigger rounder leaf because then it's able to hold more moisture in the leaves. Mandy in Collinswood asks about ginkgo. Mm. She says, why does my ginkgo not turn as brilliantly yellow as some others in the city? It's been in the ground for about five years. Okay, so yeah, ginkgos obviously only have the um, carotenoid uh, pigment, so they'll only ever go yellow. They won't go anything else. But, I mean, I've always seen ginkgos turn yellow. Uh is it, I'm not sure, is she on the text line or the phone? Yeah, it's the yeah. text line. Yeah. So that, that's why we love people yeah. to call in because you right, can yeah. ask, yeah. ask those it, extra It comes questions. back to what you were saying before, yeah. though, is, is that uh, it's the environment. Okay, Correct. sort of the, there's the colour, which is within the leaf, and when yes. the green goes, the colour is there. But if it's yellow, it's yellow. But sometimes there's a better yellow than the one down the corner, and that's because of the way the plant is grown uh, and uh, maybe stress. Some, some trees as well, if they are... Um, if they're seedling grown, seedling grown trees can vary in colour like brothers and sisters' eye colour and hair colour. Like, you know, you get two seedlings from the same tree, one yes. produces redder autumn colour than the other. So possibly if it's a very old ginkgo, it might have been a seedling and it just might have that slight variation that, that nature does provide. Can you manipulate the trees on the plains so that they do come in with better autumn colour? Often people, the, the trees in the garden, and because it's a tree, it doesn't get watered and it goes into sort of early stress. Um, and if, on the other hand, you say, right, well, during summer, uh, I'll water it, give it some nice deep watering so you've got more growth there, more stored energy, would that end up with better colour, do you think? Oh, it's a million-dollar question. Um, I mean, I definitely have seen in our nursery that the trees that have uh, a little bit more stressed or ready to be repotted and possibly have used up all the nutrients in their potting mix because they might have been potted three or four months earlier than the others, they are the ones 
the higher stress trees are definitely changing colour earlier and producing good colour, but it's early. Um, and, and then, like, we've got trees next to them and people are saying, really, are they the same tree? And it's like, yes, that these ones are just going into autumn colour earlier and these ones were just potted later. So it, it is hard to know exactly how to manipulate them, John. Finally, just this is a little bit off um, the topic of autumnal trees, but it is a tree question. Christine in Largs Bay, you want to plant out your potted frangipani. Is it an, a native one? No. It's just one that's... I've got a cutting from um, on the roadside and I've got it in a pot at the moment establishing roots and I'm wondering when I could put it into my garden. Well, if it's deciduous, you can do that any time during winter. Um, it's going to drop its leaves. It's having a rest then. And so long as you do it before the buds start to burst open in springtime, uh, away you go. Um, you maybe end up being very disappointed with what you've got, but uh, it's worth a try. Good luck with that one, Christine. Um, so many people on the text line loving their autumn-coloured trees. Uh, this text says, Deciduous white hibiscus. Beautiful, heaps of flowers throughout summer. Um, a grevillea tree, flowers many times a year. It's about four metres tall. It's a little bit evergreen, though, I think. Yeah, not... not uh, Chinese pistache, Chinese tallow wood, says Rod from Berry. Oh, Chinese tallow wood, yes, yeah. Chinese pistachio or yes. Chinese tallow wood? Oh, let's take a look at oh, the tallow wood. Yeah, yeah sapium sabiphum. Yeah, the sapium, that, that does produce amazing yes. red, yeah, gorgeous red... Um, uh, autumn colour and I, I do see them used as street trees and they were maybe popular being planted maybe a while ago because I often see larger ones. So Tallowood is another one for the uh, plains. Uh, what I'd like to do is if you wouldn't mind could you send me a, a, a list of your top four or five, uh, say the top five uh, uh, trees that'll give you autumn colour here on the plains and five for the hills because we haven't had time to sure, really explore absolutely. the hills ones. And what I can do is I'll put those into next week's Good Gardening newsletter and there it is. It's there for everybody. I know we're supposed to have let you go some time ago, Amy, <laughs> but Andrew in Handorf has just rung through. Uh, Andrew, you've got a question for Amy about planting trees next to one another. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I have a Chinese uh, tallow tree. Uh, in the front garden, okay. And uh, I was thinking of planting next door to Chinese macadamia tree. Would they go well together? Do you mean a Chinese pistachio, or I don't pistachio? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yes. Okay. Well, look, they would look gorgeous next to each other, and they're a similar size when they're full grown. Um, are you talking about doing a back-to-back planting, or or sort of four or five meters apart? No, I was thinking of roughly around about uh, say three or four meters apart. But my um, Understanding is the Chinese tallow tree uh, um, is possible for uh, not allowing other trees to uh, grow around it. It's uh, oh, um, okay. Uh, I've heard that it, uh, once you've got a Chinese tallow tree in your garden, um, nothing else will uh, will grow close to it. Oh, look, I, I personally haven't heard that. I know that the 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 only other thing I've heard I think is the leaves can be toxic to some animals, but lots of leaves can be toxic. Um, I have seen them growing in the suburbs quite happily amongst very close to other trees and lawns and shrubs, etc. So 
I suppose that's up to you whether you want to take that, that risk. gamble. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, you could do it as an experiment, Andrew, and let us know down the track. Yeah, the important thing would be to make sure that you can prepare the soil so that you have a, an area, say, right, this is where the tree is, the, uh, the pistachio is going to grow, and you need to make sure you're, you've dug down deep and sort of maybe trenched uh, between those two areas so that you've got uh, uh, the roots of your existing tallow wood has been reduced and you give the uh, pistachio time to re-establish or establish its root system and then make sure when you, for the next two or three years keep on watering your uh, your new tree Correct, and, and yes. not watering the older, older. Yeah, to let oh. it catch up, yeah. yes. And finally, Deb from Monato says, I just want to say it's been lovely listening to Amy. So much knowledgeable uh, information. Thank you for the great segment. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And on that particular note, let me say thank you very much, having discovered you. Um, the rule here is, of course, when you come in here and it's the first time you come in here, if you perform, I'm afraid you're going to be <gasps> asked to come back again. We've got your number. We know where to reach you. <laughs> Always happy to talk trees. Um, as my husband said, Said you've become a real tree nerd. <laughs> well, that is a oh, great nerd to be, Amy. Yep, Thank I, you I so much Thank for sharing you. your knowledge with us this morning. Thank you. Amy Woolard from Adelaide Tree Farm. We've got her number. We'll get her back in here on Talkback Gardening. We'll return to your general Talkback Gardening calls next. Call in now on 1300 991. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are going talk back gardening. If you've got a call for John Lamb, now is the time to ring in. 1300 222 891. 1300 891 to speak to John. And Sally in Warridale has sent through one that we used to see these trees everywhere, John, and they were pomegranates. <laughs> says, I love pomegranate trees in autumn with bright red balls of fruit and luminous uh, yellow-orange crinkly leaves. Yes, Sally, they're a tree of the past, I reckon. Frederick has called from Seaview Downs. Now, Frederick, you've got a question about Queensland Blue. Good morning. Good morning. I, I have a couple of the Queensland Blue pumpkins, which are growing really well, and but they're occupying a very large area now, and I was wondering if I could cut the ends off the runners will that help the existing pumpkins to mature oh yes very good advice there frederick um it's getting towards the end of the season you're not going to get much new growth so if you uh you've got small pumpkins they're not going to develop into large pumpkins but they will toughen themselves up and that's the important thing so uh if you've still got healthy vines and they're not coming down with powdery mildew then uh, take off uh, the vines uh, and, and come back you know, quite considerably just from the tip growth and that means that any energy goes into the uh, pumpkins themselves and you'll probably find as the temperatures drop they're not going to grow very much at all but there's energy going into the pumpkin and it's also going through that stage where it's got to harden itself up before you uh, harvest it and that's the most important thing is don't uh, uh, pick them while the, the vine is still green wait for the vine to dry up completely and uh, if you want to keep it going, um, control the powdery mildew and uh, using one of the fungicides, eco-fungicide or something like that, uh, just to s slow down the powdery mildew and leave the vine grow as much as it possibly can. 
Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frederick, for calling in. Liz is in Darlington. Liz, you'd like to plant a lime tree in a wine barrel. Good morning. That's right. Yes, I'm just wondering what the best type might be, uh, when to plant it and uh, the type of potting medium. Well, have you got your lime tree yet? No, no, I haven't. No. no okay. Well, um, I mean, often there's a, the citrus sort of come into the garden centres round about now and yeah. people buy them and then they plant them and, and, and the ground is too cold. So if you do yeah. buy a citrus, certainly buy them if you want to, uh, but keep them in their containers and, and don't plant them until the ground is actually starting to warm up uh, tomato planting time round about when the soil gets up to about 16 degrees and that's usually towards the end of September I'd be thinking of planting it in the ground but if you're going to put it in a container uh, that's a little bit different uh, if you've got a nice warm sunny position is that where it's going or is it going yes, to be I, shaded well I, can, uh, well I can put because it's going to be in a uh, half wine barrel I can move it to wherever uh, it gets the best amount of sun alright well I would do it as soon as you possibly can um Mm-hmm. The half a wine barrel would be absolutely ideal and buy a nice healthy plant, check the root system, it's not root bound so when you take it out of the containers if the roots are going around the root will chop those off and then plant them. The important thing is to protect it from wind during winter mm-hmm. so if it's getting okay. as maximum sun but uh, not any, getting any wind blowing over it I think you've got a good chance of getting it established now. But uh, okay. those people who would like to plant citrus and uh, thinking of that, and uh, if you, unless you've got a very, very sunny position for your citrus, I'd say buy your citrus now, but don't plant until mm-hmm. end of September, early October. Uh, but from your point of view, Liz, I think give it a go, and if it's protected, it should oh. be quite okay. I think you buy uh, uh, the uh, Tahitian, uh, or just, yeah, just the ordinary lime. Yes, that's fine. Thank Great. you very much. No worries. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, Gloria is in Norlunga Downs. Now, Gloria, you have a happy plant question. Yes. Thank you for your wonderful program, um, Deb and John. Um, I just want to know, it's grown so tall. My daughter gave it to me, I know, about five or six years ago. It's inside, loves where it is, but I'd like to take, cut the top of it's just nearly going to the ceiling and I was wondering can I strike that um, oh yes okay we're talking about a dracaena one with the big long strappy leaves yes yes, yes. Um, uh, it's important that uh, you uh, well, if, it, if it's growing well and putting on strong growth, yes, I'd be waiting until springtime before you did that, no. Um, it's going to slow down even though it's growing inside and putting on a little bit of growth. It's not putting on maximum growth. Wait until springtime to do it. Now, the important thing is if you want to reshape it, I would be, uh, let's assume it's, say, two metres tall, which is tall for a happy plant. And uh, rather than just taking off the top 30 centimetres, because if you do that what you'll get is new growth up near the top uh, you have to be very 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 brave and come down and probably around about uh, uh, one meter or even under a meter so around about three quarters of a meter chop the stems off and you'll think that's dreadful uh, but what will happen is it will send up probably two maybe three very strong new growths and you'll have a very within 12 months you'll have a beautifully shaped a happy plant 
And as for whether you can strike it, yes, take the tips and you'll find that uh, you've got leaves at the top and then uh, you, if you follow those down, there's some soft material and then it moves into the hard material. If you can chop it off, probably it'll be about 20, maybe even 30 centimetres of growth uh, where you get the, the wood is starting to harden up. If you put that into some coarse washed sand or into some propagating sand, you'll be surprised at how easy it is to grow a new plant. And again, put it somewhere where it's getting good light, not sunlight, good light, and no wind. And if you do that, you could uh, t just top off, chop the tops off now um, and uh, try and strike those now. Um, and you might find that by uh, springtime they're already starting to move into new growth and probably by the end of spring you've got new happy plants. But chopping back the main tree, I'd leave that until probably early spring. Oh, OK, thank you. Well, that's what I'm worried about, chopping it, because I've got it sort of staked in the middle because it just spreads out. It is by a window, between, uh, a wall and a window, gets quite a lot of warmth there and it's just growing so vigorously I will have to... Yeah, um, well, I've got three plants I had uh, when we had uh, lived in St Peter's and they were enormous and I chopped them back uh, to probably 20, 25 centimetres and they have now, instead of having one stem, they've all got three stems and they look beautiful. Yes, well, see, mine, mine has about three stems, but I'm trying to put things in, like, um, sticks in to hold them so they don't, uh, you know, branch mm. right out. Yes, no. Well, I think if, if it's too tall, it's time to reshape it. So take a, the opportunity of cutting it back hard in springtime and at that stage repot it if you can uh, and make sure you put it into good quality potting mix with slow-release fertiliser. Uh, it'll take a while to recoup, uh, re but the end result, I think, will be well worthwhile. Gloria, good luck with that. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the past month and you'd like to get your hands on an ABC Gardening Australia magazine, call in now, 1300 891. We've got two to give away. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Let's go to Fullerton now. Now, Rebecca, you want some advice on lawn fertilising. Welcome. Yes. Hello, Deb and John. Thank you so much for the program. Uh, quick question. I have Kikuyu lawn front and back, both in relatively full sun most of the day, and uh, is I've got a bag of lawn fertiliser there. Do I Do I use it before the winter comes or do I save it for spring? What kind of lawn did you say it was? Kikuyu. A kikuyu, right. Uh, well, it'll still be growing, but I think it's getting late. Uh, I would be... It's green. It's, you know, both lawns are, are very green. I do have a dog, so there are some patches, but yes. uh, it, it's, not, it's not too bad. But, right. uh, well, I think if you've got your fertiliser, I'd be putting on a small quantity, maybe... Uh, um, probably no more than half a kilogram to the square to uh, 10 square meters in other words a light application of a complete fertilizer would be a good thing to do 
uh, do it just before it's going to rain or if it's not going to rain you need to spread it and then water it into the root system but don't put on too much if you do it will put on growth at a time when uh, it's trying to store energy and as Amy was talking about how the leaves change um, even lawn grasses at this stage they're busy storing energy into their rhizomes and their underground root system and that's tremendously important if you put on too much fertilizer they come into growth and instead of uh, storing energy they're using it then they hit winter and they will really suffer so a little bit uh, to allow the tree to uh, the, the lawns to uh, look after themselves store some energy and then if you want to in uh, springtime again probably not until about october or maybe wait until that early flush of growth they'll come into very strong growth early in springtime wait till that just dies down a little bit and if you do that uh, uh, you'll find that uh, that'll give you the best of uh, your use of your fertilizer Lovely. Thank you. That's very helpful. Thanks, Rebecca. Hope you have a great lawn uh, in the coming months. Uh, magazine winners today are Lynn in Urbray and Rosemary in Tumby Bay. Congratulations. I'll have another couple of our brand new May edition next weekend. John, where are the soil temperatures sitting at the moment? We've really seen a shift. It feels in the seasons now. Uh, is that being reflected in our soil temperatures? Interesting. In the last week, uh, last week they were sitting, the te- soil temperatures were sitting on around about 16 and a half. And we take a look at the, the latest soil temperatures for Gawler 16.6, Walkerville 16.4, Glenelg 16.3. In other words, they haven't moved much in the last week because the last week was quite delicious in terms mm. of temperature. But, uh, and in particular, it's not so much the day temperatures, it's the night temperatures. And uh, we mentioned earlier earlier on that we've only had one day this month where night temperatures have dropped below 10 degrees Uh, but uh, I think you'll find that with cooler weather coming in cooler nights coming in and with the soil wet soil temperatures are going to drop quite considerably we go back to uh, the beginning of March temperatures were sitting round about 18 or 19 degrees and they're now down to 16 degrees that's uh, a big drop and uh, within the next two or three weeks they'll go from 16 degrees down to 12 degrees so if you're thinking of planting any kind of fruit or veggies and things like that to take advantage of the warm soil do it very quickly Uh, otherwise the soil will be dropping very very quickly down to a stage where the plants will sit there and they won't salt but they won't grow and if you want to take advantage of it, you need to do it soon. Is it too late to be planting winter vegetables, say, this weekend, John? Oh, no. The cold-tolerant vegetables, particularly, say, the brassicas, uh, broccoli and and cabbage and cauliflowers and kale are all cold-tolerant plants, and so put those into the ground. Uh, lettuce is very valuable, I reckon, during winter. The non-hearting lettuces, if you buy those and put those into a little container, you can you know, just be picking lettuce for uh, little salads and uh, variations to, on your meals during that winter period. Um, you can put in uh, carrots if you want to, or uh, uh, peas, I think, probably would go in if you're in a frost-free area. And for those that like broad beans... 
a planting of broad beans would go wouldn't go astray, but they put on very strong growth. So buy dwarf uh, broad beans, otherwise you'll find that they'll grow very quickly and a strong wind and they'll get blown over. So dwarf broad beans, put those in the ground, and I think you'll find that uh, in springtime they'll give you an early crop. Now, for people today that are going to do some raking, your advice is keep that beautiful colour that you've got from your autumn leaves as some black gold for your garden. Yes, don't waste those leaves. They're valuable. And, of course, next week will be the first of the month when Darren Ray, climatologist, will join us and he'll give us a heads-up as to what we can expect for the rest of winter and a little peek at what's going to happen in spring. Until next week, good gardening. <laughs> 